don't know about you, but singing that song in light of the tremendous loss up north and south in our state is hard, especially knowing the reality of having lived through such loss, and some even more than others, and particularly the loss of life. So but we can sing it with a sense of hope and renewal and belief in a God who is good and creative and invites us into that creative process to make things good. But it's also a constant reminder that from dust we've come and to dust we shall return. But the gospel brings hope and brings a sense of purpose for each and every one of our lives. So let's continue to offer prayers of support and encouragement for those who have been so devastated by these uh, fires. Turning our attention to um, today's scripture reading, Luke narrates an event in which the story Jesus tells is itself enacted by him. So um, the passage that Jan's about to read is, is Jesus sowing seed, sowing the word of God as the good news of God's kingdom. And characteristic of Luke's gospel this message is broadcast widely for all to hear. Other gospel writers have a tendency of having Jesus just telling his disciples something. Um, but in Luke's gospel, whatever Jesus tells his disciples is heard by the crowd at large. And vice versa, when he speaks to the crowd at large, it's heard by his disciples. So there's a completely different sense of in Luke's gospel that all who have ears our potential followers. The response depends on the quality of our listening, which is why Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. Luke 8, 4 to 21. A farmer went out to scatter his seed. As he was scattering it, some fell on the path where it was crushed and the birds in the sky came and ate it. Other seed fell on rock. As it grew, it dried up because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorns grew with the plants and choked them. Still other seed landed on good soil. When it grew, it produced 100 times more grain than was scattered. Jesus added, Everyone who has ears should pay attention. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Jesus said, You have been given the mysteries of God's kingdom, but these mysteries come to everyone else in parables so that when they see, they can't see, and when they hear, they can't understand. The parable means this. The seed is God's word. The seed on the path are those who hear, but then the devil comes and steals the word from their hearts so that they won't believe and be saved. The seed on the rocks are those who receive the word joyfully when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but fall away when they are tempted. As for the seed that fell on among the thorny plants, these are the ones who, as they go about their lives, 
are choked by the concerns, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit never matures. The seed that fell on good soil are those who hear the word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart. Through their resolve, they bear fruit. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand so that those who enter can see the light. Nothing is hidden that won't be exposed, nor is anything concealed that won't be made known and brought to the light. Therefore, listen carefully. Those who have will receive more, but as for those who don't have, even what they seem to have will be taken away from them. Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, but were unable to reach him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who listen to God's word and do it. The word of the Lord. Jeff Gospe sent me a text this week about a poster that appears in churches in France. In the sanctuary entrance, you encounter this message addressing worshipers with their mobile phones. It reads, by entering this church, I'm going to do it in English rather than in French. Um, <laughs> by entering this church, it may be possible that you hear the call of God. However, it's less probable that he will call you on your mobile. <laughs> Thank you for turning off your phone. And then there's this added message at the end. If you want to talk to God, enter, choose a quiet place, and talk to him. If you want to see him, send God a text while driving. Since it involves listening and hearing from God, I thought it was appropriate. Um, now, to the serious business of hearing and responding to this text. Any thorough study of the Gospels, there's a difference between reading them devotionally and reading them uh, to learn and to really get hold of what's being said or have it get hold of us. I like how one person put it, when I read other texts, I'm reading them, but when I read the Gospels, they read me. And that's the way we want to read, with a sense of openness and desire for understanding. And so when you do a study of any Gospel, you want to compare it with the other Gospels. And as Kent pointed out in a prior sermon, there's three Gospels that are very similar. In fact, for that reason, the word similar, they're called synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have, they have a similar format and a simpler, similar story. They use similar material in many cases. And John is just completely different. Uh, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about history in, in terms of a trajectory of present and future, John talks about a trajectory of what's above and what's below. And it's a, it's a different presentation of, of the gospel as theology, whereas in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's more of a historical narrative, storytelling. Um, 
And when you compare these different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in this particular passage, the parable of the sower, they all three tell the story, but they tell it differently. And where it really, where you really see the difference is how Jesus uh, uses parables. And that's caught in his quotation of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where um, Mark translates it this way. Well, before I go to that, let me just say this. According to Craig Evans, who is a, uh, a Luke scholar, this text has provoked more debate and scholarly discussion than any other two or three verses in all the Gospels. That's hard to imagine. But it all hinges on what, what did Jesus mean as the reason or purpose for speaking in parables. And Mark's gospel comes across as somewhat harsh and judgmental. We hear these words. When Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those who are outside, everything is said in parables. In order that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding lest they repent and be forgiven. Now, one of the problems is we hear that, and that sounds puzzling and enigmatic. It sounds the opposite of what you think Jesus would intend. You would think it, you would want it to be plain and clear. But we're Westerners. We like logical thinking. Um, or so we think we do, or so we say we do. And in the, in the East, things were often said in a teasing sort of way, in an in invitational sort of way, as a puzzle or a riddle so that it engaged the listener. So it may not be as harsh and judgmental as we think, and his quotation of Isaiah may be more pur purposeful than what it sounds. Nevertheless, listen what Matthew does. He replaces Mark's in order that conjunction with because implying that Jesus speaks parables to people because they will not listen, because they will not see. He does not speak parables in order that they will not see. Jesus is not attempting to prevent hearing and seeing, but as a prediction of people's insensitivity toward God and their refusal to obey God's word. And then Luke, which is our text, retains Mark's in order that conjunction, but he abbreviates the Isaiah passage with the result that his version sounds more like Matthew's. Jesus speaks in parables in order that those who refuse to hear Jesus' words and obey them become even more blind. Um, the consequence is serious. There's a rabbinic tradition that links these words from Isaiah all the way back to Jacob. If you remember, Jacob is the father of the 12 sons, and among his favorite is Joseph, and the brothers jealous of, of that favoritism and his colorful coat. Um, uh, basically, in, uh, trap him and sell him off to some traitors, and he ends up in Egypt and that's a whole nother story, a whole nother passage. But from that day on, uh, this rabbinic tradition talks about what happened to Jacob. 
Since that day that Joseph was stolen, the Holy Spirit departed from him, Jacob, so that he saw yet did not see and heard but did not hear. And the significance of this tradition and teaching lies in the idea that without the Holy Spirit, there can be no spiritual perception. It is, it is hard to understand who God is and what God's doing without the Holy Spirit working in us. Now, Mark's main point of the parable of the sower is to show how the kingdom grows dynamically and yet secretively. It's an unfolding revelation in Mark's gospel. Matthew's focus is on kingdom membership, those who are in and what forms the basis for that inclusion. What, what is the, uh, what's the threshold that has to be crossed in order for someone to be considered included in God's kingdom? But Luke's theme is not so much on the kingdom itself, but on Jesus' words and the urgent need to respond to them and to do so um, properly, authentically. Um, Jesus tells this commonplace story in an, agri in an agricultural society, and nearly everyone can relate. Everyone can picture the story, and has, they've either done it themselves or they've seen it done in their, in their own communities, a farmer sowing seed and then seeing how that seed encounters an array of hindrances to its growth and maturity. And then eventually, the farmers harvest the crop that endures. So if this is so well known and the picture is so clear, why did they ask for an interpretation? That doesn't make sense. And yet, somehow, they didn't see the immediate relevance of why Jesus was telling this story. And his interpretation suggests the need for reflection, thinking about what they've heard. People often want to explain each of the different soils as various responses to Jesus' message. But Luke's more interested in what happens when someone hears and obeys the word. That is the emphasis of Luke. To him, the responses are actually only two those who hear Jesus' words and become followers, and those who hear but do not. How we hear either results in insight into the nature of God and what God's doing, and the blessings that are available in God's kingdom, or they come across as parabolic or enigmatic, sort of like a riddle that has to be pursued in order to understand which is all the more reason to pay attention to what we hear. Failure to respond is not an option in Luke's gospel. Having heard the word, either we produce fruit or we fail to do so. Those who hear correctly are those who are given more understanding and insight and are included in God's family and those, according to Luke, are the ones who are being saved. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, talks about this relationship of obedience and faith. 
He says, from the standpoint of justification, which is the Reformed tradition's way of saying, how is it that we're accepted by God? What is it that causes God to be pleased with us? And the Reformers said, it has nothing to do with our actions and everything to do with God's grace. It is a gift which we receive, first and foremost. We are loved by God, and we come to understand that and align our lives with God um, accordingly. That is grace. That is what justifies us, what God's done for us in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say, it's necessary to separate faith and obedience from that standpoint, but never lose sight of the, their essential unity. For faith is only real when there is obedience and never without it. In other words, you can't have faith if you're not also acting on what you hear and obeying what you hear. It doesn't mean following a legalistic code. It means being a follower of Jesus and devoted to his teaching. Um, everything depends on the first step. Jesus calls to us in his grace but the step of obedience must be taken for faith to take hold, for faith to become possible and real in our lives. Now, the best way to illustrate this is a story I've told once before, but I'm counting on the fact that most of you won't remember it. Um, and many of you haven't ever heard it in the first place. So bear with me if you have an impeccable memory and you just go, oh. I remember the day he told that story, actually. So. It's a story told by Rebecca Pippert. She was working with InterVarsity at a particular school in, in the Portland area, and she tells about this small, smart college student named Sue who didn't believe Jesus was God and yet nevertheless was curious about him and wanted to learn about Jesus. So Pippert suggested that Sue tell God exactly what she had told her that her desire was to know if he was real and that if, there could be, if she could feel more certain about his reality, she might choose to follow him. And then Pippert said, read the Gospels every day, and as you do, something will probably hit you and make sense. Whatever that is, do it as soon as you can. Now, that's quite a proposition to pose to someone. And Sue even thought so. She said, that's pretty radical, but I'll try it. And then she tells this story of what happened. I read the Bible that morning, and someone's, it read, if someone steals your coat, offer him your shirt as well. And she thought, okay, whatever reason, that's the verse that hit me. And so I responded by saying, God, if you're there, I'm going to do what this verse says if the opportunity arises today. She then goes on to say how as the day wore on, she didn't think about the verse at all. And she ended up late in the day going to the library where she had a study carol to work on her senior thesis. It had been assigned to her. And as she got to the carol, there was a guy there who claimed it was now his. He said, the school didn't give me a carol, and they've run out, and I'm going to steal yours. That's all there is to it. It's now mine. And she, of course, objected, and they got into a verbal argument. And if you know anything about libraries, you can't do that. You can't argue in a library. Someone will show up 
and they'll go, shh, right? Okay. But as she continued arguing with him and stared into his face, it suddenly hit her. And she said, oh, no. No, 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 no. I can't believe it. She said, I thought to myself, look, God, if you're there, I do want to know if Jesus is God, but isn't there some other way of finding out besides having to obey that verse? But I couldn't escape the fact that I had read that verse that very same day someone tried to rob me. Well, ultimately, their argument puts them in front of a school administrator who hears everything, hears the whole story. And I love what this administrator did. The administrator looked at Sue and said, what do you think should be done? Isn't that great? The person who's offended, you ask them what, would, what, the, what is the right thing to do. And you know what Sue said? Let him have the desk. Wow. I mean, I think the, the passage of time and moving toward the school administrator and it all carrying on had time for the gospel message to work in her heart. And then as they're leaving, walking out the door, the guy grabbed her arm and asked, why did you do that? And then I told him, I was trying to discover if Jesus was really who he claimed to be. I was attempting to do the things he says, and then I told him about the verse, to which the guy replied, why in the world would Jesus say such a crazy thing? And here's what she said in response. Hey, if there's one thing I've learned from reading about Jesus and meeting some real Christians, it's that Jesus would give you a whole lot more than a thesis desk if you'd ask him. And then she writes, as soon as I said these words, I simply knew it was all true. And Pippert added, there was a lot that Sue did not understand about being Christian when she became one. But one thing she did know, to follow Jesus is to do what he says. It's that simple. It's that important. And then the passage that follows re reiterates this. Jesus talks about a, a lamp. You don't light a lamp and then put it under a bed or put, it, uh, put something over the top of it. Once you've lit the lamp, in other words, once you've come to understand something or see something, see the reality of it, then you want more illumination. You want to see more. You want to understand more. That's the point of the lamp parable that Jesus is telling. Listening carefully and obeying the words of Jesus results in more understanding. And those who had some understanding but failed to act on that, even that gets forfeited. Now, Jesus isn't talking economics here of the haves will have more and the have-nots will be deprived. He's talking about having spiritual perception. And this is true whether we're a new Christian, just learning what following Jesus means, or whether we've been one our whole life and we've become pretty callous to what the words are and what they say. We are in danger of losing that sensitivity, that awareness, that being made alive to God and responding to what God might offer us anew. But if we act on what we hear, then 
we receive even more understanding. We grow even further and deeper. And then he adds the story of Jesus' family coming to see him. And because the crowd's so large, they can't get to him. And so someone calls out, your family's here. And Jesus isn't making some commentary on his family like, oh, I've, I've, I've now moved past them. I have a job to do and my family's less significant. That's not the point of the story at all. He simply uses that occasion to say, you want to know who my true family is? Who really shares my heart? It's those who hear God's word and do it. Those who put it into practice. That's who belongs to me. That's who I care about. It doesn't mean he loves his family any less. It means he's simply using that as an opportunity to say, this is why listening and responding to the word of God matters. And as we know from other scripture, the more we do so, the more we become like him and reflect not only who Jesus is and what he's about, but we reflect his character, we reflect his heart in this world. May it be so.